0: And I've taught on some of this before in other places, but um, uh, it, it, this is people struggle with this so much because they don't realize how much God is waiting for us, and how much is actually within our hands. Like I was saying a moment ago, it's not that your faith forces God's hand; your faith cooperates. It's your side of cooperation with what He's already trying to do. Yeah. And it's your connection. Um, I'm going to make a few statements, and then we'll, I'll try and show some of them scripturally. But very often people have the idea that my faith makes God give, or I can make God do something with my faith. Now, I personally don't actually fully agree with that, and I'll tell you why. Because getting God to give is the easiest thing on the planet. How How do you convince a giver... To give something, now notice it's a, the clues are in the title. If someone is a giver by nature, do you have to talk them into giving? <laughs> Givers by nature love giving, don't they? Now the Bible teaches that. In fact, it's here in James. Like so, I'm going we'll just take this how it comes. There's no preparation on this because I was my preparation was for a completely different message today. But we'll do this. But uh, James, uh, James chapter one. Verse five says this, but uh, the, and I think this is important because that that we cover this because we get into the mentality that that I'm waiting for God, and and what was on my heart so much in worship there was that I, I sense I sense the Spirit of God was saying actually I'm waiting on on you a lot more than you realize. And this can this can be in terms of our receiving healing. It can also be in terms of stepping into some things in our calling and the anointing of God on our life and the move of the, the Holy Spirit on our lives. <clears throat> you know, there were scriptures like um, Hebrews. Who, Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews five, says uh, for whence for the time you ought to be teachers, you have one who needs to teach, you, or you need one to teach you again. Have anyone ever read that first? What does that say? You ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you. What's that saying? The expectation from God's angle is actually that they would have been they should be further ahead than they were, in other words, they were behind schedule. Do you see that? When for the time you ought to be teachers, you have one who needs to teach you again, in other words, they were behind schedule. Sometimes we almost think. We're, we're like we're ready ahead of time. We're waiting for the Lord, and some, you know, come on, Lord. When you're at any time now, Lord, any, you know, Lord, that you know, we're we're all ready, <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know, you like you like in the morning when you're getting ready, and you're the first one in your family ready, and 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 you're sitting right, you know, and they're all still having dinner or, or breakfast or putting their ties and or brushing their teeth, and you're sitting downstairs. Come on now, this is how we think we are with God, don't we? We think we're sitting by the front door. It's time to leave. Lord. Come on. Anytime you're ready, Lord. Anytime you're ready. We're waiting on the Lord. The Lord's we, we, when the Lord's ready. Actually, it's actually the opposite way around. In his word, he puts, he's, he's the one who keeps telling us to be ready. and And that scripture, which says for when, for the time you ought to be teachers. In other words, his, the expectation was that they were should have been further ahead, but they were actually behind schedule. So we often think we're way ahead and we're just waiting for the Lord. But actually, he very often is further down the path and we are behind schedule. And he's waiting for us. To catch up, this can even be in terms of the move of God and, the, and things. They there ought to be more manifestation of the Holy Spirit happening on the planet than there than, than there is actually happening. I've never quite said it that way before, but they actually that's true. I, I I believe that's true. There ought to be more move and manifestation of the Holy Spirit happening on the planet through the body of Christ right now than there is. We're not. It's it's not that we're out way ahead of God waiting for the Lord. It's the opposite way round. He's waiting for us. Do you know there's a scripture? Sorry? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a scripture. In fact, (laughs) I told you we're going to jump around. I will get back to James because I want to get onto a mentality, onto a particular mentality shown in James. But go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 quickly. The mentality of scripture that's presented is often actually that there's things that are in our hands to do. But the, the deception of the enemy is to tell us you can't do anything. It's all, you just got to let the Lord do it all. Okay. And, and and when the Bible instructs us to do some things, then, then, then what should we do? Should we ignore the instruction of the Bible and just say, well, you know, I can't really do anything. It's all up to the sovereignty of the Lord. Well, hold on. In his word, he told you to do something. Well, yeah, but you don't understand. It's the sovereignty of the Lord. It's when he's ready. These things will just happen by themselves. Now, if God said do something, what, what does that mean? If I respect him and I reverence him like I say I do. These people will say, well, we reverence the Lord. It's all up to his sovereignty. So God comes and says, I want you to do this. Yeah, but Lord... We, we reverence you so much, we're just going to reverence your sovereignty and leave it all up to you. Is that actually reverencing God? If He's an amazing God and he gives an instruction, do this, and we just won't do it. And we just say, well, Lord, we're just going to let you step in in your sovereignty. Is that actually honor for him? Do you know that true honor and reverence will, will, will actually respect the fact that he said, do something, do it. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? It's a deception from the enemy when he shows us some things and we step back from what he's shown us and then we say, well, we're just leaving it all up to him. And he said, well, hold on, no, you do this. That's actually unbelief and a complete lack of respect. But it's being presented as if it's reverence for God. It's not. True reverence for God will honor and respect his word and what he's shown. We'll say, okay, the, Lord, the, the word says it this way. God said it this way. We're going to go with it that way. That's how God's doing it. Oh, I, oh man, I could dig on this one. I had the Spirit of the Lord say to me this week, he said, he said, there are a lot of things going on in the church right now that are not from me. And I was like, whoa. And I'm not talking about the, the obvious stuff in the denominational church. I'm thinking there are a lot of Christians that are saying God's in this, God's doing this, God's in this. He's not in because it's not in line with his word not in line with how he does things I'll just leave that one hanging there <laughs> I didn't intend to say that one that's what happens when you st- you start to preach <laughs> maybe to get away some from some mentalities that were not quite in line with with um, him I'm looking for the scripture I think it's in second Timothy actually chapter two <laughs> Verse, verse, Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty. I said one Timothy. Like I said, this is this is completely unprepared today. Not that I didn't prepare; I had other stuff prepared. <laughs> but this message, I'm just going with what 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 I think we need to say today, and that's all right, yeah. No, I, no, I changed it. I said one Timothy initially, initially, Hello. but I then changed it to two Timothy. Hello, <laughs> if you're watching this, just stick with us because we're going to say some important stuff here. Yeah? This but uh second Timothy chapter two everyone there now yeah verse 20 how many of you have heard this in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also wood and clay some for honor and some for dishonor anyone ever heard this scripture before (coughs) vessels what's a vessel well, if it's talking about a household, it's talking about the items in the household that you use, aren't they? And the, this, the, the, you know, this is my cup. The, the, there's, there's different items or vessels in the household. Okay. And he says there's some the vessels of gold and silver, but also some of clay and wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. So someone says, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just, poor me, I'm just was born a vessel of dishonor. And I'll always be a vessel of dishonor. That's 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 false humility. I'm going to give you some insight here. Do you know that every single one of us start off as a vessel for dishonor? Yeah. We all start off as the wrong type of vessel. <laughs> okay, but jump down, jump to, just jump verse twenty one for now. Uh, in fact, no, the end of verse twenty one is what I want. Um, the very last phrase says. Um, so again, my translation. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified. My translation says, and useful for the master. Does anyone see something similar to that? Yeah. Okay. So Sorry, what does your say? Used for special purposes. Used for special purposes. What does your say? Holy. 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 Okay, set apart. Now, is it saying all of the vessels are are, are useful? Man says, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master. Now, he, in, the, in the previous verse, he's just told you there's two different types of vessels. There's vessels for honor and vessels for dishonor, yeah? But now he's highlighting one of the types of vessels, the vessel for honor. And he said that vessel is, the way Mark Bible translates it is it uses the word useful, useful for the master. Is he saying all of the vessels, both the vessels for dishonor and the vessels for honor are all useful to the master? He's highlighting one. He gives you two different types, the vessels for honor, the vessels for dishonor. And then he says the vessels for honor are the ones that the master can use. Yeah. Can you see that in the way your translation presents it? Now, I like that word useful. Useful, if there's something useful, if he's just told you there's a lot of vessels and some of them are useful, what does that you, tell you about the other vessels? They're not useful. How many of you know in scripture there are people who made themselves not useful? King Saul? Some are for special purposes. Okay. It's different, there's different translations. But but, but, but but we'll dig into this anyway. Okay. The, the, the way verse 21 starts in my translation says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter. Do you see a phrase along those lines? Verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter. From the dishonourable. Okay, so he's just told you there's vessels for honour and some for dishonour, and then he says if anyone cleanses himself from the latter. Well, the way man's written the latter means that you got the former and the latter, so the first and the last. But he's listed two, so the, the honour and dishonour. So the latter would be the vessels for dishonour. Okay, so he says if anyone cleanses himself from the latter. He or, or we could, if anyone cleanses himself from being a vessel of dishonor, he will be a vessel of honor. Yeah, that's that's the way. It, and I know the wording different in different translations. In other words, the implication is the, the ones that become vessels of honor that are useful are the ones that have gone through a process. Now, he's talking to the body of Christ. He's not talking to non-Christians. This isn't about your salvation. This is, this is not talking about your eternal destiny. This is talking about usefulness within the kingdom. Yeah? Usability. But who does he say... causes someone to go from being a vessel of dishonor to a vessel of honor? Does he say... God divinely selects some of the vessels. Is that phrase in there? In my translation, verse 21 says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself. Now, it's not talking about be cleansing from sin to receive Jesus to become salvation. That's done by the blood of Jesus. This is talking about usability. Timothy's a minister. He's writing to a minister here. He's already saved. So he's not teaching on salvation. He's talking about usefulness within the house. Usability. Okay. He says, if anyone cleanses himself, so who does it put the responsibility on? See, We, we, we think it's all just in God's hands it's just when God decides to suddenly move, he will just make a vessel, a vessel. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Very often we're behind a schedule because we're not doing the things he told us to do. Now, this isn't about works. This isn't about forcing your salvation. You've This is talking to people who've already received salvation. But actually there are some things that are in our hands, some responsibility when God says rise to the level, do something and we just won't do it. Some things are not going to happen. Yeah, I'm talking about works to try to make yourself step into who you are in Christ. That's given to us in Christ. I'm talking about usefulness and God being able to do some things in your life. Do you realize there are things that God puts in our responsibility? And he says, you do it. If we abdicate it, we just said, no, Lord, you do it. (laughs) We're just waiting for the Lord to do it. There are some things that God is waiting for the body of Christ to step into. He's waiting for us to take a level up. He's waiting for us to respond to some things that he's saying, so that he can begin to move and manifest through the vessels to a degree, the way he wants to. <clears throat> now let's go back to what I started on a moment ago, because this is a similar mentality. Go to James one. There's more in our hands than we realize, and it's not that 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 we're trying to. This is where people get it wrong. They try. They think that when you teach faith you're trying to teach you can force God to do things how can you force someone to do things who is already willing to do those things (laughs) yeah if you came to me and said I'm gonna bake a cake I'd say yes please (laughs) but if you came to me and said I'm gonna bake a cake and I said to you I'm gonna make you bake a cake you look at me like I just told you I'm gonna bake a cake (laughs) I'm going to make you bake it. Get in that kitchen and go bake a cake. Am I? How can I make you do something you've already decided you're going to do? Don't force you to do something you've already decided you're going to do and you want to do. Well, actually, a <coughs> well yeah, a cake might already be made as well. That's even better. It, <laughs> yeah. We just have to it. <laughs> Sorry? It takes it back to the promise. What is a promise? A promise is a is a revelation or a commitment of what someone already wants to do. And when God reveals something, He says he's, He wants to do something, or this is what I have, or maybe in many cases, this is what I have done in Christ. You can't force Him to do something that He has already either done or has already or has said He will do. He's already decided He's going to do. Like I said, let me let me go back to the question I asked. Earlier, a little bit jumping around, but we're back to where I was trying to get. This was all a side journey about the vessels, but let's get back to the point I was at just now. How do you, or can can you, or how do you, or how do you get a giver to give? <laughs> yeah, okay. But let's stay on the giving side for a moment. How do you, how, how do you get a giver, the clues, in, the clue's in that word, to give? Do you have to talk them into giving? Do you have to convince a giver to give? Any, anyone ever, like, maybe had a grandfather or something, you just loved giving things to the grandkids? Did you ever have to talk them into it? Some of no one's like, I never had a grandfather. Okay, <laughs> right, bad illustration. I'm just trying to think about an illustration. Okay, but let, let, let me let's read here in James 1. Do you realize we need to get our thinking right in these areas? Because actually, when we do, we'll stop trying to argue with what every time God says do this, it was oh, that's just works, know, it's not works. He's just trying to get us to respond to our side. Mm, yeah, you don't have to it's like he said, go into the Lord and preach the gospel of you. He said, well, Lord, no, no, we're just going to stay at home. It's all up to you because that's works. That's not works. It's just responding to his word. Yeah? <laughs> okay. um, it, J- James chapter 1, we'll start in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, the way my Bible's written, it says, let him ask of God, comma, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, comma. So the way that's written is it says, let him ask of God. And then it's almost a parenthesis piece of information. You know, when something's in brackets, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Now, I don't know how your translations say it, but he that is... It's written in such a way where he's trying to give you some information about God. Let him ask of God. By the way, let me tell you, the God that you're asking of is a liberal giver. And in fact, um, one, one scholar who was involved in translation said that one good way to translate this, and in fact, this is very... It's almost written like this in the original. It's written. It's. It, 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 it's. It's a bit. It's, they found it difficult to translate. But one of the ways that you could say this is written. It's written almost as if this is a name of God. God. Let him ask of God, the Giver. Saying it's this, He is the Giver. Yeah. Let him ask of God who gives or let him ask of God, the giver. God is presented, especially in the New Testament, as a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. Do you know that there's the there's, there's scriptures which talk about um, uh, God who gives us richly all things to enjoy? There's a lot of scripture. You've you studied God, the giver in the New Testament, particularly. It's a fascinating study. Well, if he is presented as a giver, let me ask the question: How do you do? You have to convince a giver to give. Do you have to make a giver give? You have to hold a gun to their head. Do you have to force them? If someone is a giver by nature, especially if they're a liberal giver, they're all, they're looking for excuses to give. Yeah. Well, if he really is a giver, why is it that some people seem to be? 10 years down the road still waiting for him to give apparently it seems like anyway does that sound like a giver to you someone who's just never getting there is the they never get anything from god and it seems like they're having to convince him to give well the bible says he's a giver in fact you're in james look at look just go back a couple of verses to hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Oh, my coffee's gone. It's all right, I've got water. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and... That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Does anyone's translation say anything massively different to that? He who comes to God must believe. Do you see that in your versions? He who comes to God must believe. Now, do you see that it tells you two things to believe? Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. That's the way my translation. Does anyone agree with that? You can see there's two things that tells you he he must believe. What do both of those beliefs have in common? Well, faith is a belief. You, you, without faith, my side, without faith, it's impossible to believe God. for he who comes to God must believe. In other words, the person with faith must hold certain beliefs, yes? And what are those two beliefs? That God's a giver and that he gives generously. Okay. What does your, tra- you, your translation that he, say? That he exists and that he rewards. That he exists and? Reward. And he rewards. What does your translation say? He exists, he rewards, he is, he, he, Okay. What do both of those beliefs have in common? Do you you see there's two beliefs? Now, what do those two beliefs, what is the common factor between those two beliefs? Come Come to him. You're coming to him. That's the action you're doing. But when you come, you must believe these two things, yes? So what do the two beliefs that you must have, what is the common factor between those two beliefs? I don't think you understand what I'm asking are you Okay Well that's one of the beliefs that he is a rewarder Yours is that he Okay listen listen to me carefully he must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder What what word did I emphasize Both of the beliefs you are told to have are things you believe about him yeah it doesn't say believe in the dinosaurs it doesn't say believe and it doesn't say believe what it's good to believe people say do you believe in healing that's a topic yeah but in hebrews 11 verse 6 it's telling you that when you approach god what you believe about him must be correct you need to hold the correct beliefs about him as a person, who he is and what he's like. Do You see now what I'm, the point I'm making. So both of the beliefs you're told to have are beliefs about him. The when I approach how I think about him and what I believe about him must be correct. Does it matter what you believe about him? Well, must do because he's just told you to have the, the kind of faith that pleases God, you must hold specific beliefs about him. If you yeah, if you think he is a different way to how he is, then do you have the correct beliefs about him? You're not going to receive it, are you? Because you're not going to think he's going to give it to you. Yeah. So what are the beliefs that he says you must have about him? How must I view him? Must I view him as tight-fisted? Must Does it tell me Must uh, you must have the opinion or view and belief of him that you've got to pry something out of his hand to get it? Now, what if you, that is what you believe? If he told you you must have the, the specific beliefs about him when you approach, now what if the way you think about him is wrong? Then you're not going to be able to have the kind of faith that, that pleases, are you? And what if what if what if the Bible says when you approach you must you must see him as a rewarder? <clears throat> what is a rewarder? Okay. Well, here's the simple thing. Anyone anyone ever lost a dog or a cat and you put a, a post up when you were kids and it says I'm offering a ten pound reward if you find my cat? Anyone ever seen a poster kind of along those lines, yeah? Now the reward go back to my plectrum. The reward is what is what you give, but the rewarder is the one who gives the reward. Yes? Does it make sense? So the rewarder is the person. I don't know if the, the person who receives would be the rewardee, but anyway, that's another matter. That's my English thing. So the reward, you must believe that he is a rewarder. In other words, a rewarder is the person who gives the reward. Is that correct? Now, what if what if what if you, you saw a son saying, find my cat, I'll give you 10 pounds. £10 reward for finding my cat. Now, let's let's say I find your cat. And so I come to your house and say, here's your cat, I'd like my reward. And you say, gee, thanks for the cat. And you slam the door in my face. Are you a rewarder? No, you're not. A rewarder, by implication, is someone who gives a reward. If no reward is given, then they ain't a rewarder. So saying you must believe God is a rewarder, that indicates you must believe he gives something. If he withholds it, you can't call him a rewarder. Does that make sense? Was that just my logic? Yeah, yeah. You must believe he, you're thinking about him, must, must be correct. You must believe he is a rewarder. In other words, when you approach him, you must have the mentality... And the belief that I am approaching a giver. What makes him a giver? The fact that he gives. If I approach him and he gives nothing, is he a giver? No. (laughs) Just like a rewarder is not a rewarder if they withhold the reward. A giver is a giver because they give. So if I'm going to a giver, what's the implication? I'm going to someone who gives. So my mentality is that he gives. I must see him as a giver, as a rewarder, that when I approach him, I know he gives. Now, what if I approach him with the idea he might not give? Then I'm not seeing him as a giver. What if, I'm approach, what if I approach with the belief it might not be his will to give? Then I'm not seeing him as a giver. I'm seeing him as it's not his will to give. All of these teachings that the, the enemies put in the body of Christ undermine that one belief system which we're told to have. We are told to approach with the belief that I'm coming into the presence of a giver. Now, How do you get a giver to give? Let's go back to this question go to James one. Do you have to convince a giver to give? Do you have to force a giver to give? Do you have to try really, 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 really hard to plead, 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 plead with them, beg you, please give. No, you don't have to do that with a giver because a giver already wants to give. You don't even have to convince them. Is it hard to get a giver to give? It's hard to get a stingy person to give. It's hard to give a tight-fisted person to give. You've got to pry it out of their things. It's not hard to get a giver to give. Then why do we see it as so hard to get something from God? Because our thinking about Him is wrong. And Hebrews 11 told us, when you come before him, the way you think about him must be right. You've got to view him the right way. You've got to understand you're coming into the presence of a giver. Now, how does this affect anything? Does this change whether he'll give to you or not? No. It affects your side. It affects your ability to receive from him if you're thinking wrong about him. Yeah, it affects you, it affects your side. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that just break down. The thing I thought I had was on the king what differentiated the king is those that sought the Lord with their mm-hmm. whole heart, were approved of God, those who didn't, they put down yeah. Yeah. But that is something we can do. We, we, we can. can have the attitude. We will seek the Lord. Yeah, that's right. We can, but when we have the attitude, we're going to seek and We, we, we. Go, I'm seeking a God who's a giver. I mean, the Bible says, while we were God's enemies, He gave Jesus. If He gave to His enemies easily, how do you really think He would? not easily give to his own kids. (laughs) Yeah? While we were God's enemies, he sent Jesus. Now, I'm trying to get somewhere with this. I'm, I'm, I'm spending time on his side because I want you to see something. Many people think the problem, the hold back, is God. But no, actually, there's no hold back from him. Where did I start on this? Very often, we're the ones behind schedule. We're we're not the ones downstairs saying, Lord, we're waiting for you. It's it's the opposite way round. He is waiting for us to play catch up on some things. This is why very often the Bible puts the responsibility on us, not because God doesn't have a role, but because God needs us to understand our role in things. When Jesus said, your faith made you whole, It doesn't mean God's power wasn't involved. God's will wasn't involved. Actually, it was the power that did it. What Jesus said is all the other things were already in place to flow. The final connection came into place and the healing flowed. Everything else was ready. But she finally, she stepped into that place where the final connection, like it's like if there's five switches that have to be turned on in order for something to happen. The other four were already on. She arrived and turned the fifth one on. She said, well, there you go. Your faith got you. He's not saying faith was the only factor. He's just saying the final switch that needed to be turned on on her side. Because all of the other switches were already on. Does that make sense? Everything else is already on. It's just you turn the plug on. Now, you might say to someone, I just turned the TV on because I put the plug on. Well, actually, that doesn't mean you went all the way down the cable and turned the power. That was already all in place. It was all ready to go. It's just that you turned the final part of it on. <coughs> now, let's read James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally? Oops, jumped. Uh, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And what, what? what's the last phrase of verse 5 in your Bibles? It, so yours says it will be given him? Yours says it will be given him? Does yours? It will be given him. James 1 verse 5. He'll not rebuke you? It's an interesting one. Because God gives generously and graciously to all. Okay, because God gives generously and gracious to all. Okay, Verse 5 deals with God's side. And all it tells you basically is he's a giver and he gives. You ask, he gives. Does verse 5 mention anything about you need to do this in order to get God to give? It doesn't. It doesn't tell you anything you need to do to get him to give. All it says to get him to give is ask. How do you get a giver to give? You ask them. That's the answer to the question. Is there any more you need to do to get a giver to give? You ask him, he gives. But then verse 6 This is where people get confused, but says, but let him ask in faith. And they think, well, maybe if I don't ask in faith, he doesn't give. No, no, no. That topic's closed at verse five. It says you ask, he gives. Topic dealt with. The giving side is already finished now. Verse five, sorry, verse six actually deals with the receiving side. Let him ask in faith. He's not saying your faith makes God give because actually he's already told you God gives before even mentioning your faith. Did humanity need to be in faith before God would give Jesus? It didn't take any faith to give Jesus. What takes the faith? Receiving him. When a person steps into faith for salvation, they don't cause God to give Jesus to the planet. He was given already. The giving side didn't take your faith. What took your faith is the receiving side. Whose side is the receiving side? My side, your side. So, my faith doesn't make him give. My faith enables me to receive. You see the difference? Yeah. People think I'm trying to get my faith to make him do something. Your thinking's wrong. You're not trying to make God do anything with your faith. He, You can't make him do something he's already decided he's going to do. Or he's already done. faith opens up your side to receive what he's given it's the difference between standing like that or putting your hand out to receive what's been given that's the dif- that's what faith does okay go back to the original illustration here's my plectrum you're trying to give me a plectrum And I stand, I mean, apart from you literally standing up and forcing that plectrum into my pocket or forcing it into my hand, this is what people think. Well, it's all up to the Lord. I'm going to stand here like this. And if it's ever going to appear in my hand, it's because God put it there. So what do they want? They want God to literally stand up, take that plectrum and force it into my hand because none of it's up to me but they're standing like this with the things of God. None of it's up to me. It's all up to God. If it's ever going to end up in my hand, it's because he forced it there. No. The word teaches you open your side up to receive. Yeah? The faith changes my side. It doesn't change his side. He's already giving. I'm not trying. Thank you. I think I received it. <laughs> I'm not trying to make him give. I'm not trying to convince him to give. I'm not trying to force him to give. I'm not trying to get him to give anything. All I'm doing, how do you get a giver to give? It's very simple. You ask them. Then the giver says, oh, okay, I'll give it to you. Can I have this? Oh, yeah, you can have that. Can I have this? Oh, yeah, you can have that. There you go. There can have it. That's how easy it is to get a giver to give. Is this making sense? But the receiving side is my side. Now, when he says get into faith, he's not trying to say you're going to force me to do anything. He's just trying to say at the moment, most of humanity has their hands closed toward God. All he's saying is just open your hands up so I can and put it out so I can give you what I'm trying to give you. Yeah. And he tells us what enables that to happen. He says, believe. Faith enables your hand to open up, to take it. So this is why he then starts talking about verse 6. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now verse 7 what does your translation say of verse 7, anybody? Should not expect to receive anything, yeah? Anyone's translation say anything different to that? Does verse 7 say God will not give to that person? No, it doesn't doesn't say God won't give. It says, let not that person think that they shall receive. In other words, the receiving end is blocked. He already told you in verse five, ask and he will give. But giving side's finished. It's dealt with. But he says, what he's trying to teach in verse 6 and 7 is that the receiving side, my side, is blocked unless I step into some things. Does this make sense? Most people think, oh, what are you telling me if I'm not in faith? God won't give me anything. No, we're not telling you that at all. God gave to his enemies. It's very easy to get him to give. He gave Jesus to an enemy who was there was not, they were, people, it didn't take human beings being in faith for salvation in order for him to give Jesus. He gave Jesus to the cross when, when they were all a bunch of unbelievers who were enemies. But only the ones that then believed could open their side up to receiving. Why do you think he puts so much emphasis on faith? Because he knows his side's already sorted. he's just trying to get us to learn how to open our side up does this make sense he's trying to show you how to get your side open instead of being like this Now, what I started with is very often we think we're waiting for God to do something even on revival on the planet very often he's already trying to do it he's already trying to move but he's trying to get our side to a position where he can do what he needs to be able to do, because God has created us in such a way that He works with our cooperation. We're not robots. Does it make sense? I think churches have wasted years waiting for revival and just not doing what He's told them to do. No. <laughs> now there can be a season where God will start to deal with people because He really, you know, he, he, He's bringing the body to a place where they will step into some things that they could have stepped into 20, 30, 50, hundred years ago. Yeah. But actually, see, we've got it all wrong in our thinking with faith because we think, Oh, well I'm trying to force God. I'm trying to make God. Uh, you know. All he's trying to do is teach you how to cooperate with him. And this is the bit on your side that will enable the cooperation because he created us as beings who have a choice. I was reading on Facebook a few a few um, weeks ago, where someone says, um, "I think I can't remember if I quoted this here recently." It was this uh, everyone was forwarding it on Facebook? I don't think anyone here forward. I don't know, but, but it's other friends of mine, and they said something about the Holy Spirit won't make you, doesn't only make you jump, run, and laugh. The Holy Spirit also makes you kneel, reverence. And I don't know, something like this. I read that and I thought, actually, that's completely wrong. Holy Spirit doesn't make you do anything. (laughs) He wouldn't make you. Will he make you raise your hands in worship? Will he make you? He he doesn't make you do anything. I mean, if the Holy Spirit was going to make anybody do anything, he would make the unsaved person receive Jesus. I mean, surely that's the That's. Why didn't he just make everybody on the planet receive Jesus? Because he works with our cooperation. So a lot of what God's trying to do in teaching is actually teach us how to cooperate with him. What enables our side to cooperate with what he's already trying to do? Does makes make sense? And actually that's where a lot of the times the, 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 the hindrance is. Is that he's trying to get our side into cooperation. When he says get into faith. It's not a works program. He's just trying to say, this is how you'll enable your side to open up so that I can do what I'm already trying to do and been trying to do all along. Now let's jump down to verse 12, actually verse 13. Now it's talking about temptation but, but I'm going to use the context slightly. This is only a, slightly differently. And in fact, this is only a few verses after he talks about asking God and God giving, which is what we just read. Yeah. And in fact, in a few verses after this, he again talks about God giving. But verse 13 says this. Um, let no one say. Now, <laughs> When the Bible says, let no one say da 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 da. What does that mean? It means don't say it <laughs> it's very simple so what if we go around saying it well i know such and such a theologian who thinks this is the way it is i don't really care the bible says don't say it the bible says let no man say when he's tempted i'm tempted by god what is it saying don't credit god as being the source of something that he is not the source of you see how I've, how I've put that in the general terms. So I'm being tempted. The Lord is tempting me. Don't give God credit for things he ain't doing. Yeah. Don't say God's doing it when He if he's not the one. In other words, you, it's telling you, you need to know who's doing it and who's not, Who's who's involved, who's causing something and who's not causing something. Don't, get, don't claim God is doing something he's not doing, is what he's basically saying, yeah? Like no one is saying, when I'm tempted, I'm tempted by God. So does it really matter if anybody has any theology about how, well, God might tempt you? It doesn't really matter. I don't care how, how many degrees a person has after their name in Christian theology. If the Bible says don't say it, you just don't say it go write a book about how God tempts people the Bible says don't say it yeah says let no one say it but then he goes on he says this in other words what he's saying is don't claim God is involved in something he's not involved in you see what I, what I'm saying there Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Don't give him credit for doing something he's not involved in. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away. Who's to blame? He's saying don't blame God for something God is not to blame for. Recognize your role in that thing this is what i know he's talking about temptation but but look at do you see the bigger picture here saying don't say god tempted me recognize i got tempted it's my fault don't blame god for something that was my fault yeah now there's, there's a reason i'm saying this i know it seems like a change of topic says, recognize what's actually going on. Don't claim God's behind something when he's not behind something. When the Bible says you got tempted, that was on you, then just accept responsibility. That was on me. Yeah? Recognize the things that were, were my responsibility and recognize the things that were her, were or were not his responsibility. So if it says, I, the reason I got tempted is because I got drawn away. It's not God's fault. In other words, recognize the source of something. Where did it really come from? If I go around saying, well, it came from God when it didn't come from God, then I'm lying, aren't I? If God says it came from me, then then I just need to say, yeah, I'm behind that. Does that make sense? Now, with that thinking, read on, because that becomes relevant to what he says next. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, he gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. Now read verse 16, because he comes in 16, 17, because he comes back to giving. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Well, what but when he says from above, what would that mean? From from God in heaven, yeah? Would anyone agree with me? So, does he tell you what comes from God? He's just told you in verse 13, don't say the temptation came from God. Then in verse 16, verse 17, he says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. Do you see he's saying, recognize what is coming from God or what's not coming from God? How many of you know half the church is confused and saying God's God's involved in things he ain't involved in? Because they don't know what's coming from him and what's not coming from him. Just don't say the temptation came from him. But then three verses later, he says, the good gifts, the perfect gifts, that's coming down from him. Should I know what he's giving and what he's not giving, what he's involved in and what he... I should. Okay? Every good gift... Now, do, do you do your translate? I'm going to close in a minute. I just want to get this thought out, yeah? This what this passage, what I'm saying. D- do your translations use the word gift, every good gift? Everybody? I have to ask these days because sometimes you're teaching something and people are looking at you with blank faces and you realize their translation says something almost completely different to what you're t- trying to say. Okay. Now, if I can <laughs> picking on you today, we use you see again. If I came to you and said, I got you a gift, I bought you a really nice TV. Like a <laughs> Massive flat screen TV. It's a gift for you, but it's currently in my house sitting on my wall, and I'm going to be watching it every day. But it's my gift for you. What would you say? Well, that's not a gift. You, you, that, you're keeping that. That's not a gift, is it? What is a gift? A gift is something given. If you keep it for yourself, it's not a gift. That's simple logic, isn't it? Yeah. So if it's a gift, it's given. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above. Well, if he's keeping it up there for himself and not giving it, it ain't a gift. Many people think he's keeping all these things for himself in heaven. Well, then don't call it a gift. The very fact of a gift, givers give gifts. He's just told you a few verses later, God is God the giver. Now he talks about he gives gifts. What's What's the implication is? it's coming is not holding any of it back. It's he's a giver. And it's a gift means it's for it's for you. So is there any is there any in anything in there that says there's any difficulty on the giving side? No. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. I think some some people read it like this every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and stays above for the rest of eternity. Is that what it says? what does it actually say and comes down is there any implication there that there's anything holding that he there's any hold back from heaven's side what does he tell you about the gifts they're coming down gifts are just oof, there's all the gifts there's all the gifts <laughs> why well, because he's a he's a liberal giver And comes down from the father of lights. Then he says with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What does that mean? He doesn't change. Variational shadow of turning has got to do with the the way they used to use um, the sun. The shadow of the sun. To to mark time. Yeah. So the phrase there. My translation says shadow of turning. The implication of the original word is no matter how much time passes. He doesn't change. He doesn't change with the passing of time is what that phrase basically means no shadow of turning means as time passes he doesn't change so is he still the giver of every good gift and every perfect gift and do those gifts still come down or does he keep them up in heaven well if he's keeping them up in heaven they ain't gifts (laughs) if it's a gift it's given What's, he trying to, what's James trying to teach in this passage in James 1? He's trying to get us into the whole framework of thinking God's side is a giving side. There's nothing holding back on his side. What's, what's God actually waiting for? Our side to learn how to open the arms up to receive. Many Christians think they're waiting for God Still to heal them. They're waiting for God still to do this. They're waiting for God still. Well, we're waiting for the, when's God going to do this? And the enemy, well, you know, I'm I'm believing, I'm praying. When's God going to do this? You're thinking wrong. This is one of the things, because our thinking about him is wrong, it's blocking our receiving side. It's making our receiving harder. That's why he says, get your thinking about him right. Begin to believe he responds, he moves, he gives. It'll make it a lot easier for me to receive when I realize his side's sorted. All i got to do is open my side up, and he's teaching me how to do that. He says, the principles of faith, he says, you're not trying to make him do anything. You're opening your side up to receive. Does it make sense? And it enables what he's giving to flow. So we've got to break this mentality. We're waiting for God to do something all the time. Well, how many times have I got to confess it until God does it? You're thinking wrong right there. I confessed it a hundred times. When is the Lord gonna do this? You're thinking wrong right there. Because your thinking is still I'm trying to get him to get it. Do it. His <laughs> side's <laughs> yeah. done. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you that you, when I prayed, your power is released. I thank you that your power manifests. I just, I, Lord, I, your side sorted. I thank you for the manifestation of your power right now. It it it's yeah, <clears throat> a lot of what's holding us back is wrong thinking on these things, and we're getting ourselves more confused in the teaching. When I said this the other night, a lot of times it's the simplicity. Just realize it's one. He just says this, this, and this will help you receive. If he says this and this is this, will help you receive. Just say, "Well, fine, we'll just get on and do this, this, and this." It's that easy, right? Yeah? Anyway, that was all off the cuff, so I jumped around a little bit. But uh, there are important truths, uh, and and sometimes we just got to repeat some of these things because we get so much in the wrong mentality where we think I'm trying, I'm waiting for God, I'm trying to get God to give. When's the Lord going to do? When God? When are you going to do? When are you going to do? The enemy gets you so focused in this mentality that he gets us chasing our tail. You've got to re-educate your mind and say, Father, thank you. You've done. It's that side sorted. Train yourself to think, Father, I thank you. When I ask, you move. You manifest. You respond. Your side's done. The responding's done. Amen? All right. Father God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you.